what is going on guys if you're listening to this right now well that means you have made your way to the weekly struggle podcast today i'm having a very special guest on a good friend of mine philip meehan he is also like a brother to me and he is the assistant fire chief at the Easton fire department and uh we're going to talk about all the struggles that he's been through as for growing up and going on going on calls for the fire department and basically all the struggles that he has faced and uh we're gonna go over all sorts of things and i'm gonna go over some of the things that i struggled with and we're basically just gonna get very deep into all sorts of struggles in our lives and uh it's gonna be it's gonna be hard to talk about but we're gonna get through it and hopefully any of you guys listening to this podcast today um you guys can relate and we can at least help at least one person so without further ado let's get this party started all right so here i have with me assistant chief philip meehan uh, how about you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself there, Phil? Well, not really much interesting about me. I'm the assistant chief for Easton Fire Department, have been for something four years or something like that. Been with the department about seven years and grew up here in Easton, moved away, realized I did not like it on the west side and came back the first chance we could. And you lived in Black Diamond, though, right? When yep. I was living over there? Yep. Oh, geez, you're right down the road. Yep, because you went to school with my nephew, right? Oh, yeah, Connor. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, I lived, uh, we were down off 207th down there, which is across from the DOT shed off Auburn Black Diamond Road. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know where that's at. Mm-hmm. You know they closed down that hatchery that's down over there? Did they? Yeah, I drove past it the other day, and it's like completely overgrown and no nobody around nothing really i don't know if it's because of covid or it's completely shut down huh. like what the hell so who knows it's bizarre <laughs> oh they're probably gonna make another housing development out of it that's annoying well that was one of the main reasons why we ended up moving was 10 trails they were talking about that that long ago they were they broke ground the year we moved they broke ground in like sixteen, seventeen, and that's that's when we decided we we're getting out of there because traffic was getting to be so insane. Huh. And we were only the third house in from the road. And with my oldest being three years old, wanting to ride his bike and everything, I couldn't let him ride his bike. Couldn't do that anymore. Nope. We had a drunk driver on the sidewalk across from our house, a drunk driver nailed our neighbor's three-quarter ton Chevy truck, which weighs about 6,200 pounds, through that truck 30 feet up over the sidewalk into my neighbor's garage. That sidewalk is the day before is where my kid was practicing riding his bike with his training wheels. And this happened at like two in the afternoon. And that was the deciding factor of we're done. Yeah, screw that. Well, it was a pain in the ass because it took... I want to say by the time Dylan was six is the first time he was able to ride a bike without training wheels. Might have even been seven because he was so far behind on ever doing that because we could only let him ride in the backyard, which was all grass. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, that's annoying. Can't trust anybody nowadays, especially when you're living on a main road. Yeah. And when we moved, 
in that little area those of Kent, Auburn, Black Diamond, and Covington, there were something like 27 housing developments un- under construction. And it was just getting way too overpopulated and stupid. It it actually took took us longer to go to Safeway from Black Diamond to Covington than it does for my wife to go to Cleelum and back to Easton right now. Wow. Yeah. What the hell? Yep. Jeez. Yeah, it's getting really bad over there. Like yep. uh, even going, trying to go through like Buckley or something in the <laughs> evenings, the Buckley crawl, there's that. Yeah, hop on four. Yeah, try to take 410 down there. Yeah, no, screw that. And then Black Diamond, I mean, Auburn Black Diamond Road's probably screwed in the mornings trying to get to, like, Covington or Kent or anything like that. Yep. Well, at the time, I was I started work at 5 at the time, and I was leaving my house at 4.15 to walk in the door at the shop at 5 o'clock, and I lived 13 miles away. Or no, 8 miles away. That's how stupid the traffic got there at the end. That's how many people were commuting in that area. And now 10 trails is done. And it's just, oh, yep. man, there's way too many people over there. Well, and they haven't even started on, they're still putting in the second one up on Lawson Hill is where they're proposing to put their second development. Same company. I'm not thrilled. No. No, it's it's insane over there. It's stupid. I'm definitely glad we... uh got out of there moved back home yeah i mean i kind of have regrets but family oh yeah and work and you know i can't risk getting stuck over here and then going over on my attendance days and then getting put on probation or something before i'm even a journeyman exactly that would not look good well and family's another main reason why we moved back to back here too because my mom's over here my aunt's over here at the time my grandma was over here and they were all three of them were living together up in tianaway and the winter before we moved back their water heater went out their furnace went out and their septic froze Ooh, they didn't tell me for two weeks what because the they didn't want to bother me because I had a, a newborn at home. Hmm. I had a three-year-old at home. And with the weather being bad and everything, they didn't want to burden me on coming over and helping them. I, I couldn't handle that. And then after we moved over, moved back over, my sister ended up moving over here as well. So my family's all back over here. Well, that's good. Yeah. So now you don't have to worry about any of that. No. Happening ag- again. Yeah, Exactly. Man, were you pissed like that they didn't say anything? I was pretty upset because you figure at the time, shoot, my grandma was 93. Oh, geez. And I mean, they, they're all, they're all really tough, independent women. So they're able to take care of themselves, but still it's one of those things of, I could have came over and helped you, but they didn't want to bother me. So like toilets wouldn't flush or nothing? Nope. They were just backing up. Yep. Because it, it, it was... Because in the winter of 16, 17, it was really, really cold over here. Mm -hmm. And it got below freezing for a really long stretch. And even though the septics are three feet underground, it's still up in Tianaway. It's all that clay. It had just froze the drain field and then backed everything up. That's a shitty situation. Especially when you don't have a water heater or a furnace, too. All within a couple of day period. Yeah, I mean, even that day last winter here that the power went out for like the whole entire day and they 
DOT fired all their guys. Oh, yeah. So nobody plowed I-90. There's like three feet of fresh powder on the highway. And I hopped in the Dodge with Mike and we went to try and make it to Safeway mm-hmm. to get fuel. And uh, the generator that has his dad gave him is brand new, but it's like 10 years old. So everything's gelled up. So that wouldn't work. And uh, we were plowing like bumper deep snow all the way to Safeway on I-90 and everything's just white. So we couldn't see where oh, the yeah. barriers were. So it's just kind of driving by Braille. Yeah. So, uh, and then we ended up getting some like propane space heaters from a buddy. Uh, we had to basically wheel our way back down some road off of, uh, West side road. Yep. All the way back towards like the power lines. And we eventually made it almost to his driveway and he gave us all the shit. And like, by the time we got back, the power came on. Oh, nice. And so we're like, man, what the hell? Well, and that's, that's one of the things cause growing up up here and then moving back up here, we spend most of the summer preparing for winter. And then we spend all winter praying for summer to hurry up and get here. But we're, you know, the, the summer times when I go through and do all the services on the tractor and I service my generator, make sure everything's going well before anything, mm-hmm. anything goes to shit. So, yeah, that was, that was like the main thing that I just, I used to love snow until I lived in it for four years and then just like damn it the best part about that is i hated snow my whole life from living up here moved over to the other side and after about three four years i was like oh i actually really miss the snow yeah no i know my words i think it was just commuting the pass is what kind of drew the line yeah because of just having to deal with all the idiots and everything else and then worrying about making it to work or or not and it's just oh yeah it was just terrible like i couldn't deal with it anymore yeah but no no it's it, it's a toss-up i mean obviously you're gonna have things that bother you about it anywhere you live yeah it was pretty stressful for a while there and then I, you know, I crashed the forerunner into the guardrail right by the on-ramp because I was trying to drift on my way to work at 5 yep. in the morning. That was cool. But, yeah, I mean, it's nice over there in Enum, Enumclaw at least, but yeah, uh, it's still pretty crazy on, like, Fridays or weekend days. Like, if I have to hit the store before going to work. Yep. And it's just crap, but I don't know. We seem to be pretty happy in our own place, though, and being close to family. Yeah. But, I mean, some of my family wants to move over here eventually, so, I don't know, maybe later down the road. Yeah. Or somebody will get a wild hair and want to move out of state, then I could transfer. Yep. And that's the cool thing about that is we could go to a state where, like, wages are lower, but, I mean, as long as I'm still in the same position, I'd still get paid the same. Oh, that's nice. But... I don't know, other states that seem kind of appealing, they're still, like, housing is still through the roof. Yep. Just kind of like Jeff and Tony went to Montana. I heard you and, talking about that in your last one. Yeah, and they were like, screw that. Yep. It's not going to be any cheaper, really. Nope. So, I don't know. And Idaho deal, looks pretty and nice. And you but. get to deal with a whole different type of stuck-up assholes. Exactly. It's... It's crazy. Everybody's moving from California, all these other states. So Well, in northern Idaho is getting overrun. It's just getting stupid up there. Like the panhandle of it? Yep. My boss, it's actually, or my old boss at 
uh, in Kent when I worked there, he retired and built a house up in Bonner's Ferry. He's like, yeah, getting away from all these assholes. Yeah, by the time his house was complete. All the assholes were there. All the assholes were there. <laughs> yeah. And he was retired and sold his house and moved up there and talked to him a little while ago. He's like, everywhere I go, there's fucking just people from Seattle. There's people from California. It's like I never fucking left. Just different scenery. Yep. That's getting overpopulated. Yep. Well, I guess maybe we could get into the, the meat. Get into the meat and the taters, huh? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I mean, you've said before that you've struggled with anxiety and depression anxiety, and stuff. Anxiety, not... I mean, I've never really gotten... Never really had too much with anxiety. Uh, depression. I Because I'm about, what, 20 years older than you? Or are you 45? I'm close to it. I'm 44. Oh. So, okay. so yeah. So, I mean, depression, and I don't know if it's a generational thing, but I've, my mindset on any sort of depression is depression is not bad because depression is a good sign because if you're depressed, it means you can still feel feelings. That is a good point. It's when you're numb to all of it is when you have an issue. Um, depression when because I, I was last generation really raised by baby boomers their 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 thought process was you bury everything you don't show you don't tell anyone about any sort of any, any depression or anything like you have it wasn't even in their vocabulary that's dangerous though it can be yes the main thing that I have learned is and it goes with depression and with trauma is your brain is like a closet. You have, you have a storage room where you can put all your memories. You can put things that have happened to you in the past, things that are terrible. Most people fill up that cup with a bad experience, put the lid on tight, put in that storage closet and walk away. Eventually that closet gets full. And then all that shit comes tumbling down. So my theory and what I found is, yes, you still take all that trauma, any sort of depression and anything that's building up in you, you still fill up that cup, but you pour it out. You don't put it back in the closet. You pour that shit out, whether that's talking with someone, you know, going to a therapist. I don't go to a therapist personally, but... I make sure that, especially if we're talking about, you know, going on a call, anything traumatic, anything like that happens, my wife makes sure that I, I tell her everything about it because she did notice there for a while. We had probably, I say, two years ago, she finally had to pin me down and have a conversation with me. And what transpired there was one member of our department was actually in this shop and him and I split a fifth of whiskey one night because he was having, he was having some hard times and unbeknownst to me, my wife walked in the door as I was telling him some things that I'm struggling with. And afterwards, my wife pulled me aside and said, we got to have a conversation, buddy. I said, what about? She's like, you never told me half of that shit that's going on or that's eating at you. I don't want to bring anything home. I'm the way I was raised is work stays at work. Home stays at home. The two never meet. Well, that's all fine and dandy, but 
when, especially if you have someone like my wife, who we've been together almost 30 years now, she's my best friend. She's my sounding board. She's concerned about me. So when she heard that there were a couple of calls where I was staying behind at the station for several hours, just kind of trying to figure everything out because I didn't want to come home and face my family. Right. Because that's some of the hardest things. If you're not processing it well, is you just watched a couple of kids die and you're going home to your children and they're happy and healthy and you get that guilt sometimes Mm -hmm. or you watch a mother die and you come home and your kids still have their mom makes you question of the why. And my wife overheard me telling, telling my buddy this. And that's when it really got into the fact of, you got to talk to someone. So if you can't, if you're not going to talk to a therapist, you got to at least tell me and just empty the cup, empty the cup, wash the dish, put it back in the cupboard. Don't put it in the storage cabinet. And I've seen that in our own department where we've had specifically one re- most recently one really bad call. And I lost three people because of that three, three, three members of my department because they couldn't go back after seeing what we saw and anything involving kids fucks you up. And if you don't, if you don't let it out in some way, shape or form, you know, whether it's talking about it with your own department, talking about it with a loved one or something like that, or, or even, you know, a professional, you're going to be fucked up. You know, it, it ended three careers in it in with our department alone. And I know of a few other people that were on the call, not in our department that messed them up pretty bad too. And you got to find a way to got to find a way to cope with it. Right. And sometimes not, or, you know, drowning yourself in a half gallon of whiskey or, or drugs. Cause I think that, makes everything a whole lot worse because that makes you do what I just told you my theory between depression how depression's a good thing because you can still feel it it's when you're numb is when you have to worry about it so if you're numbing yourself so you don't feel feelings mm-hmm. that's when you have that's when you have an issue that's that's when somebody needs to seek s- some sort of help because you can't mask everything yeah and a lot of people have issues or they have trouble they have trouble acknowledging that they have a problem or taking the first step and saying that i have a problem same thing with like addiction and stuff that's the first step is you know admitting that you have a problem exactly and that you need help exactly you know i have a relative that that person's been through treatment probably 20 times by being forced to go until that person admits to themselves that they have an issue and wants help, nothing's ever going to change. That's why it's like, uh, like with Steve and I were talking in the first episode, it's the, you got to hit your rock bottom. Yep. And if somebody, like he said, his mom forced him to go Yeah. and it didn't, you know, he was young. He had no, uh, intention of quitting drinking cause he was so young, but yep. Uh, he had to go through his life and then eventually hit rock bottom to where he had got to admit, yeah, I have a problem. And, 
you know, took the steps to move forward. But, you know. Well, and, and at least for, like, you know, the trauma aspect of hitting rock bottom, I think for me it kind of came down to, and I don't think you were, no, you weren't anywhere near that one when you were with us, but we had an incident where there was a wreck that happened on the freeway and two people were deceased in the front of the car and the truck had hit him and it was a sedan and it smashed the trunk all the way up to the back seat or to the back of the driver's seat. And our responders that were there called us, myself and chief who were about an hour away and said, well, the coroner's on his way, but there's a car seat in the back and we are not going to, we're not going to extricate it. None of us, none of us can. So they had to wait till chief and I got there to extricate this car seat because nobody knew if there was any, if there was a baby in it. I mean, Mm -hmm. what do you think when you see a car seat? Do you think the worst? So we extricated it. I was really apprehensive, but I was happy when we found a backpack full of drugs instead of a baby. And that's just one that, you know, old people are one thing that, you know, are hard to deal with. Kids are hard to deal with. Babies are the worst because that's a whole life ahead of them that, you know, is never going to happen. Right. Yeah. That would be hard. Yeah. And you know, you come to like the trauma aspect and this is one where I don't know if you remember, I was shortly after you had joined, it might've been, I don't remember where we were, but you were on a call with me and you had, you were gung ho, you know, want to go. And I remember you had said, I just want to go into a burning building and save somebody. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to be in this profession, it takes a special type of person because yeah every now and then you get to go and be the hero 85 percent of what you deal with sick and injured people right that's where you're going to find the most most deaths is sick and injured motor vehicles is a huge one but then just freak accidents not involving a car as well you know i couldn't even tell you how many dead people i've seen anymore and after a while you have to be able to compartmentalize and have short-term memory. I remember you were talking about your uh, CPR call Mm -hmm. that you were on. And I don't think that I did a good enough job on that one. And for that, I'm sorry. I mentioned to you a couple of times, are you okay? I had no idea that you were affected the way you were, but, and I feel terrible for that because I didn't know that that was affecting you and you know your involvement with the department you and chris both did though right but i should have pushed harder but i said i'm fine yes but you know what i've been married long enough to know when a woman says i'm fine when somebody says i'm fine that means there's an issue what is the what's the what's that stand for again um fine I don't remember what fine stands for. I have no idea. Uh, man, somebody will have to fill me in on Fuck, that. I'm not explaining? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I actually just Googled it, and it says fine stands for fucked up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, so that makes that makes total sense. Yep. So, 
Yeah, I mean, it didn't really, I didn't really know what to think. Yeah. In the moment, but I remember them asking, I think it was like John was asking me, mm-hmm. like, are you CPR certified? We need to get you in here if you are. I was like, oh, no, I'm not. And then I was standing there like, shit, I hope they don't make me do it anyway. Oh, man, I'm not yeah. ready for this. And then I just kind of stood there. Well, and that's one thing I stress with everybody is if you're not comfortable, don't ever go in or anything like that. You know, we have a we have a new guy on our department, and he was in the military. You know, served as a surgeon, all that, or trauma surgeon. <clears throat> Sorry, but he... Uh, I still test everyone. We had a body body recovery here about three weeks a month ago. I made him go with me because I want to see how he reacted. Because I'd ask, you know, I ask everyone, "Are you okay with you know seeing dead body?" And he was like, "Oh, I'm fine." Made him roll with me because I want to see firsthand on something that is not an emergency how he can react and if he's you know this or that. Because last thing I need is. We got two dead bodies and three live patients. We need to go in and, you know, handle this scene and somebody telling me right then when it is an emergency. You can't have somebody freeze up. Exactly. And be useless. Yep. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously that CPR call, I remember that one. The first one? My first Your one? Your first one? Yeah. I didn't want to do CPR on that person. They were dead. Yeah. But being in a small town, this was... A, the father that or the father of the guy that was dead asked me to asked me to do whatever I can to help save his kid. I told him that his kid does, probably isn't beyond saving. He said, Philip, will you please at least try? And I've known I've known this man for thirty years. That's the only reason I did. Yeah, that was a those guys that were in the house and I was in that tiny little hallway, that's probably what made me the most uncomfortable. Yep. Because they were yelling and screaming, and that environment didn't really seem like a good... Well, and that's the secondary reason why I did it, is because by me starting CPR, it mellowed all those other people out, because they would have got rambunctious if we were doing nothing. Right. And then it would have caused an ugly scene, because when you have five, six people that are known druggies getting all pissed off and there's two maybe three of you there and no leo's around and law was not not available yet law didn't show up for law because they're coming from ellensburg they weren't there for about 15 minutes could have turned into a bad situation but at least by doing what we did everybody kind of simmered down a little bit and i had you and chief in the hallway kind of keeping everyone back because as being one of the first providers, that's when you're the most vulnerable is when you are on your hands and knees dealing with a patient, you can't look around you cause you have to focus on the patient. Right. You know, that's where, that's where it gets sketchy and you have to be able to trust your fellow department members that are there with you. Right. I remember I, I wasn't, uh, I mean, I was kind of uncomfortable, but I was still like, okay, I gotta be useful. And so I remember Chief was looking up at me and was like, are you comfortable with running out there and grabbing oxygen and whatever, all this other stuff? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was running errands and then I was running errands for the the medic unit going out to their stuff yeah. back too. So I was useful. And then after the, everything was over, I remember he, 
he pulled me aside outside and was like, hey, if you need to talk about any of this, you know, call me, come over, whatever you want to do, just you know, talk to somebody yeah. if anything bothers you. And I was like, oh, I'm fine. I'm, I'm Well, and I fine. know that everybody, well, not everybody, but, you know, and I don't know if this was the case with you, so I'm not, you know, insinuating, but a lot of people, especially the younger people that join, they all want to be tough and macho and, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, and then never express it. And, you know, that kind of happens to a lot of people. You know, fortunately for me, being around dead bodies, been around my whole life, never really had to worry about that, you know, but it affects everyone else, everyone differently, but it takes a certain mindset to be able to perform the job to the best, best of your abilities. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of, that was before I kind of realized that I was just taking everything and shoving it all down Mm -hmm. and not letting anything out until like i'd be by myself or something away from anybody to see me explode (laughs) but yeah now i'm more straightforward and honest with people like if something bothers me yep i'm kind of straight up about it but like i said that's the thing that helped me the most was when my wife walked in while i was spilling my guts to one of our members and every call now she doesn't accept you know, because she's a member of the department as well, so she sees the CAD notes. She goes on lots of calls, but if it's one that, you know, we kind of have a working agreement, we will not go on the freeway together, and we will not do a structure fire together. So if it's like a freeway call or something that she's not on, she can still read the CAD notes about it. She'll know that it was something bad, and she doesn't accept, oh, it was fine. Right. You know, she makes me describe everything just so that that cup gets emptied yep gotta empty the cup uh-huh i like that uh-huh that is a good that's a good one there and i like uh people say they got skeletons in their closet or or mm-hmm. whatever it's kind of like the same just make sure you don't keep a jar of bad memories well in in all honesty all that kind of came up with me because I was 26 when my old man died. And when I was 24, he got um, diagnosed with colon cancer. Well, he had been shitting blood since I was 17. And he never went to the doctor. So by the time he went into the doctor, they gave him two months to live and had to perform immediate surgery to take out the tumor which by this time had massacized into his, not just his colon, but his prostate, his bladder, lower intestine, large intestine, part of his liver, and into his spleen and pancreas. Jeez. It was bigger than a rugby ball, what they pulled out of him. And they had to split him from the base of the sternum to the top of the pelvis. And they informed him that because of his weakened state and how bad and the cancer was, that the... The wound would probably never heal. So he lived with us in Black Diamond, my wife and I. We weren't married yet. And we had to clean that wound three times a day. 
Oof. And so he had his colostomy bag and he had his, you know, piss bag and everything. And, and it had a, a wound vac on it and everything. And we had to clean that. And so that's why medical smells don't bother me. Blood doesn't bother me. Shit, piss, all that stuff doesn't bother me. But then I had to watch him deteriorate for two years, even though they gave him two months to live. Watch him just totally just deteriorate and everything. It was hard on me, but I never, I never really expressed anything on it because I got a mom, I've got a sister, and three aunts. And when we found out about it and we all met at the hospital that night when I got the phone call, I've got five women bawling looking to me for answers and looking to me to be the rock for them. I'm 26. My dad's, you know, just 24 to find out my dad's dying. So I wasn't able to express any of the emotion. I buried that shit and mm -hmm. I buried that shit for a long time. And it was like eight years, something like that before I finally just broke down and my wife drug it out of me of what is all this about? Cause I was, I was fucking stupid. And finally it came down to everything was coming out about dad. And she's like, you know, you never fucking cried about your dad at all. You never let anything out. And what I was doing was putting the cups in the, in the, in the cupboard, just putting the jars up there. And yeah, it was, it was pretty hardcore. It, it was, it, it was a lot for the two of us to come to finally realize that and for me to actually come to the conclusion that I can't be can't be one of those people that just buries everything and that's when I started realizing just how bad it is to just to bury it look at the people that you know the, your Vietnam vets they buried everything a lot of them turned out batshit crazy lot, right that's when the the 22 started you know all the all the veterans that started killing themselves. It was after Vietnam because they were raised by baby boomers. You had to be fucking tough. You had to not show emotion. No, they didn't. And they turned to drugs and alcohol and a lot of them just killed themselves. Yeah. And it's still, I mean, it's still a thing too with, yep. you know, the whole war on terror and, yep. Um, well, because it's not, it's only in the past five, 10 years where, people are actually acknowledging that oh mental health is a thing yeah i mean <laughs> mental health in men too i mean exactly. it's never talked about really yep until like now it's starting to come out and i guess that's also more one of the reasons i'm doing this podcast is because it's not talked about and well growing up how many times did you hear i'll just be a man a lot yeah you have something going on be a man get over it grow a pair yeah you just got to shove that shit down and yep and get back to work and yep. be a man it's like that's one of the most unhealthy things you can do exactly that's dangerous yep kind of like all the like the vets that are committing suicide they're shoving all that shit down they don't talk to anybody and then every once in a while you're hit you'll hear uh like a good story of a cop that has pulled some guy over. I actually saw this, like a body cam footage this morning. This cop pulls a, a vet over that's on the phone with the VA hotline about suicide. Yep. And the cop has him get out of the car. And then he searches the guy for any weapons. And then the guy asks the cop if he can give him a hug. 
Yeah. And they just kind of hugged and cried it out together. Well, I've had, I've had calls where it was a potential suicide of a vet that was having a hard time and, you know, law secured the scene. We were in there. Everything was fine. One of our, you know, veteran responders stayed with the guy, stayed with him all night talking to him. You know, that's, that's some things that people don't realize the aspect of us is we're not just there to put out your fire or to put a bandaid on you. Right. It's for lack of a better term PR, but especially in the volunteer agency, you've got all these people from all these different walks of life. Mm -hmm. Everybody has their own experiences. Everybody has, you know, special skill sets. We've had, like I said, we've had our members stay there with a suicidal vet all night and then make sure they, you know, talk to them all the time throughout the day just because that's an area that we can help, you know, and not even the vet thing, but just the aspect that people don't see that firemen do. We had a wreck just not too long ago right out here on the freeway. We were called out for a uh, single injury the driver we showed up first on scene and i did have a little bit of ptsd flashback on that one it actually freaked me out a little bit when i hopped out of the rig because i saw 10 7 to 10 year old kids in the median my first thought was oh fuck is this another dead kid was there a school bus nope it was a little league team coming back from from yakima and they hit a a deer or something like that and the mom that was driving hurt her wrist but I walk out and I see a bunch of kids in the median I started freaking out well the medics handled the mom I sat down in the median I had 10-15 kids around me they're putting on my fire helmet and all this and I'm talking with them a couple of kids were shooken up and all that but medics cleared after the after the mom refused treatment I sat there until you know tow truck showed up and we get them all safely off the freeway but I just sat there and make sure all the kids were safe. Playing with, sitting and playing, joking with a bunch of kids, letting them, oh, here, here's a fire helmet. Here's our flashlight. Here's, you know, this or that. Keeping them entertained and trying to take their mind off of, oh, we just got into a car wreck. Trucks totaled. Mom's hurt. You know, little things that we do just to alleviate. But again, first thing when I step out, my biggest fear is fuck another dead kid. Yeah, this was so. This was after the bad one. Yeah, this was uh just just about a, yeah a couple couple weeks ago. Man, and they were just hanging out in the median. Well, because they were in a caravan, and they were over on the they were, left side of the highway. Then yeah, so they had no yeah because it was full airbag deployment, so they had to pull over in the left shoulder, but. In this field, anytime you hop out and you see kids in the freeway, it it freaks you the fuck out. Right. Dad, I'd do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Not having, uh, you know, like, whatever they give you, dispatch gives you some sort of notes, but I noticed a lot of times it was extremely vague. Oh, yeah. So you don't know exactly what's going on but then there was other times where it was like super specific well and especially on the initial page because you figure they're still on the phone with the 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 reporting party right you're getting paged out on you know your short report is going to be 
MVA, 36-year-old female with an injury, needs checked. So you're responding. No well, idea there was going to be kids. No idea there's going to be kids because in that short amount of time it takes you to get to your rig, you may not have your radio on you and you're not checking your phone to see what the CAD notes are. They could still be adding on to it by the time you got your short report, but you may or may not know unless you're act- actively watching it. And, you know, but when we're responding to the aid rig, you don't really have time for that. First thing I'm doing is I'm hopping in back and I'm running through my head. Okay. I have this patient. What am I going to need? What, what, what kind of scenario do I have? And then with a small department like us, I don't know who else is going to be rolling in. So I have to start thinking of, am I going to be having to run command and do patient treatment? Because smaller department, there's a chief assistant chief and a captain. One of us is running command and me being now the senior EMT, I'm probably doing patient care as well. That's right. Uh, Stacy's a Stacy. Yeah. She's a captain. She's a captain now. now. We promoted her back in May. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. No, she's awesome. At least there's three officers now. Exactly. Two. Exactly. So at least that's going to be, take some of the weight off. Yeah. A little bit. Makes it nice. That's, eventually i think we're gonna have to end up promoting another one but we'll wait and see what our what our department looks like yeah it's been a very hectic year for our department like said that that bad wreck really kind of uh shook a lot of us up for for a little bit so yeah because that was wasn't that last last summer it was april 19th or march 19th it was two days after uh saint patty's day this year yep oh that's the day I can't forget. Oh, that's right. And then there was that one where the uh, it was up top of the hill and the aid unit got smacked. Yeah, but unit. there, yeah, that one was. Uh, I think that was twenty twenty one. You were in the newspaper for that one, right? Yeah, but they were all fine. They were all fine. It that one wasn't our medic unit. That was or that was you know the medic unit for the county, and but that was probably in my experience the first one where I've heard mayday, mayday, mayday on the radio, and it was one of our own that was in in a wreck. So that that gets our not much on a call gets our blood gets you know gets my blood pumping anymore. But when I see that it's one of our own. And but no, they were all fine. I believe one of them retired after that. One of the people that was involved in that. I think the one that we ended up having to extricate out of the vehicle. I think I think she retired. Oh, that's scary. Yeah. Yeah. Was that the same one of the the semi or the dude that was sleeping on the shoulder? No. That wasn't that one? Nope. No, that was uh that was in twenty twenty two. It was spring of 2022, and that dude was lucky because he got ran over, but if he wasn't asleep, he'd have been dead because his body was limp, and all he got was a sprained ankle. Was he wasted? No. He was just tired? Yeah. And pulled over in, like, the shittiest well, spot he could? You've seen how well the, uh, the DOT does about marking that lane? Right. He thought it was a shoulder. He didn't realize it was a lane. Semi came around that corner and ran from the trunk to the hood, ran right over that car. Oh, he went over him. Mm-hmm. Oh. The only thing that saved his ass is he was asleep. And when you're, you know, when you're drunk or when you're asleep, your body's limp. He just kind of, he just kind of folded over. He got a little sore ankle. Yeah, I guess that's why 
drunk drivers are always the ones they're usually that the ones that live yeah that's never the innocent people nope it's terrible <laughs> but yeah i can't imagine how uh all of the people are feeling that responded to the incident the other day the other day oh you mean the one back in march no like which one? Oh, oh, you, you, we're bringing up that one now yeah well it was i'm i'm really glad that i wasn't on that one um it wouldn't have been an issue but once i found out that not only you knew the people but i found out that my nephew went to school with them and it was friends of his i'm really glad i wasn't on that one because when it's it's one thing when it's an and this sounds terrible but it's one thing when it's in somebody that you have no affiliation to right it still sucks but i mean we're we don't have constant reminders when it's somebody that especially in a small town but somebody that you know somebody that a friend of yours knows somebody that you're related to it it can be hard because you you get a constant reminder of that incident every time you talk to that person. Every time you see somebody that knows that person, you're always reminded about that scene. Like me, I even told you, I can't even remember how many dead people I've seen. Everybody that I've, I can tell you that there are, are several that stick out. And there are ones where I've been there when people that I've known my whole life have been, have died. Those stick out too. But when it's when it's a random stranger, a lot of times those don't stick out much, especially if it's a pretty common type of death. Right. But yeah, that one, <clears throat> that one sucked. Um, it was painful to listen to that one on the radio. Oh, I bet. Because you know that no matter what any of the responders did, there was no change in the outcome. Right. But what I did actually find out last night is there is a UTV Facebook group on Facebook. Yeah. And yesterday or the day before, it was the morning after it happened. So Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. Somebody had posted a video of it. And there was a bunch of other UTVs there. Are you fucking kidding me? And all of these people just stood there and took videos of it. And they posted it on Facebook. And my buddy Brennan in the podcast last night, he told me about this and he commented on it. It was like, look, those are my fucking friends. And not a single one of you even tried to throw dirt on it or anything. And I know damn well a lot of your side-by-sides have fire extinguishers on them. And all you guys did is fucking stand there. Fucking makes your blood boil. Well, and what can you expect out of our society now? I mean, the worst thing that ever happened to us is social media. Everybody wants to be a fucking social media star. How many times have you seen these stupid TikTok videos or whatever where somebody's sitting there with their phone out videotaping somebody robbing somebody, you know, beating somebody up in public? Fucking do something. Don't just sit there and take a video and then post it on But I'm going to go viral. I'm exactly. going to get lots of followers. That's all anyone gives a fuck about anymore I know. is popularity and right yeah that kind of shit just pisses me off yeah and then i don't know like i haven't posted that one that one yet because i still got to edit it but uh man when he told me that i was just like i was i was pissed that was yeah 
that because that's somebody's friend that's somebody's daughter son mother father anything whatever come on and then yeah they just all sat and watched yeah and they, i guess they uh they were in the comments they were like yeah we don't know what we didn't know what what would happen to the other people that were that were in there or, or whatnot and it's like what what the fuck yeah like in the i guess uh Brennan said that like in the video you could clearly see nobody was trying to do anything and it's like what and after he commented they deleted it degradation so like, of our society like what is wrong with people well and that's the thing is i mean i i don't know if our society is just becoming less and less empathetic to anything but we're becoming a very 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 selfish society and it's it's depressing you know especially for me because again i'm 20 years older than you and you're 20 years older than my kids and what kind of world are they gonna have i know it's what terrifies me Mm-hmm. you know and that's that's part of the reason like with the department and all that that's why my kids are so involved as well with my wife and i in the department is they get hands-on they get to see they both want to you know help out and do whatever they're always asking if they can go on a call i'm like no kids you can't you know you don't need to start seeing you blood grow guts. up and join the cadet program and- exactly well and dylan is already counting down the days to where he's old enough to be on there you know he already knows that well i let a 12 year old on there so he's only got two years left right because <laughs> i you know I, I made an exception for uh tony's daughter so she's in there now oh annabelle yeah oh yeah but the kids both have their little because that's the thing is they're both at all the cadet meetings they help with all the cadet functions so we gave them shirts to say junior junior fire oh, Easton. Well, so that's, that's good yeah yeah i was kind of i was pretty glad that they approved that again so you did say you guys tried that a while ago well and it was kind of a, a we didn't ass. try it when chief and i took over we were handed it oh but it had no policy no procedure no protocol and we had no nothing in structure to where we we got no help from the department on it because it was just this pile of shit that was handed to us so we couldn't really once we put in policies to set the couple of kids that we had straight well, they were pissed because they'd already been going like a year and a half without, by being able to do whatever they want. So they got upset with us and was like, fuck it, you know, we're done. We're going to restructure the whole thing and then start anew and we'll recruit from the school, not where the, where the cadets came from in the first place. So we worked together with the fire auxiliary and with members of the fire department and with the school to build a good program. And now I think I'm up to like 22 kids. Oh, that's pretty good. And I mean, shit, they're they're awesome. You know, we had that hundred mile run. Fuck, they were there for fourteen hours helping out on Saturday during the hundred mile run, and they have their own little car washes and all that, and raise money for funds to do stuff because everything costs money. But yeah. you know, you look at like the cool part about it, and it shows something about the kids. Is one Friday a month they're hounding me to do a movie night at the station. So 15, 20 of them are hanging out with a bunch of 40-year-olds watching a movie <laughs> on a Friday night. 
if you'd have came to me when I was 16 and said, hey, it's Friday night. Do you want to hang out at the fire station and watch movies? I, I told you pound sand. I had beers to shotgun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? So, no, they're they're all great kids. I'm really proud of that program. And we're the only one in the county. You know, we're the only junior cadet program in the county. So that's, that's pretty cool. Wow. And they're all doing great. And, I mean, shit, they've... I, when I started, I think I had one maybe that wanted to make it a career, and I think I have seven now that are pushing to make it a career, and I have three that I'd like to, by the time they're 18, have them go through and be an EMT and get their EMT cert because they have to be 18 to go through and do all their hospital stays and everything, but they can do the class when they're 16 or 17 so that's cool yeah that was gonna be my next question how many of them do you think are actually uh, planning to pursue it out of the group i have right now it'll probably be about six that's pretty good i could see that out of six of them and yeah yeah, because they're they're all really eager they're they're sponges you know and they you know i i do watered down drills for them of what we do with the department. I don't do anything too technical, but you know, a couple times a year I run them through CPR, run through backboarding, um, bandaging tourniquets. They had a lot of fun with the tourniquet ones. I tell you that much. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Cause it wasn't long before they were wanting to practice on themselves. And I was like, go ahead. Go ahead. Cause yourself pain. Yeah. <laughs> but no, they're, it, it, it's, it's gone really, really good so far. That's good. Yeah yeah i mean i thought about i wanted to go into uh having a career in firefighting but i don't know covid kind of happened and then the whole vaccine thing and all that no oh, fuck and i'm gonna be started on that shit and then i was well and the vaccine one pissed me off because not only am i a school district employee but i'm a school board member and i'm a first responder I could have I could have lied and gone through and got an exemption for all of them but I refused to because I'm born and raised Catholic Catholic Church was in support of the vaccine I still could have got a exemption but I felt like I would have been lying to God if I'd have said that it's because of religious beliefs not just because I don't trust my government and being a school district employee, I have a pension. I wasn't going to give away 15 years of my pension, so I ended up having to get the jab. Yeah. And that pissed me off. But it was also, I really like helping people. So if I wanted to continue at that time for that year period of being an EMT, I would have had to get the shot or not respond to any medical calls. And I couldn't justify that, especially in this town. No. I mean that the main thing that pissed me off was that it was getting forced yes. on us. Like they weren't giving us the option. Yep. Really. Yep. Like other vaccines like the flu shot. Yep. That's not it was never oh, forced. I was livid, but I on one selfish reason of wanting to keep my pension and then for the other unselfish reason of wanting to still be able to help people, I complied. I, I'm still pissed to this day that I did, but although you want to hear a funny story, I don't think you heard this one. 
it was, I think, like a week after COVID hit and everything shut down. I still didn't know what COVID was. I was believing the hype that it was terrible. We had our first COVID death. It was a CPR, blah, blah, blah. Didn't didn't resuscitate. It was COVID. I had responded in my personal vehicle to that call because it was at like one in the morning. So it was a COVID death. So I'm all freaking out thinking I'm going to bring this world's worst disease in the ever known home to my family. So in the middle of winter, I strip off all my motherfucking clothes. Hmm. I go straight to the station. I scrub myself in the shower there. I sand wipe everything. I drive home butt naked. Oh. In the middle of winter. Nice. My clothes all in a bio bag and everything. Terribly afraid I'm going to give the world's worst disease to my family. Fucking idiot. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, here I am butt ass naked when it's like five degrees out was dana awake when you got home no thank god (laughs) thank god did you tell her about it oh of course i tell my (laughs) wife everything (laughs) you know that's that's the one thing i will ever say is anybody that's ever married anything like that there's two things marry your best friend no secrets you tell everything even the embarrassing things to each other amen to that because i mean my wife and i started dating when i was 16 I'm 44 now. We've known each other a long time, and we've been together that whole time. And, yeah, she knows every dark secret I've ever had. She knows everything about me, and she still likes me. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good thing. That's a good part about it. Yeah. If I have somebody that's as goofy and fucked up as you are. and Well, the main thing is always always communicate, dude. Always communicate. Yeah, I went through that stuff. Yep. Where not communicating really messes things up and then yep then there you are and then well and even if it you think that it's something that is you're protecting them by not in my case telling them the bad things that you have experienced and it's affecting you you're wanting you're you're still wanting to keep the the two separate family and work it was affecting her because she knew it was affecting me but she didn't know how to get me to express myself, but she was worried about me. That's always going to, that's going to affect your relationship, especially with your life partner that, you know, you got two kids. Guess what? Your kids are moving away one day. Yep. Your wife's going to be there with you till the day you die or she dies, whichever one. If you're like me, you hope that you go first. Cause well, I can't live without that woman. Yeah. For but, sure. Yeah. No, and, you know, one thing I think that to touch on would be, you know, I bring up your instance of, you know, I want to run into a building, this and that. It takes a special person to be a first responder because firefighters aren't just firefighters. We're medical personnel as well. Nobody calls 911 because they're having a good day. Right. We see people at their worst. That is their worst day possible. Our job is to not just treat what their illness or injury is to comfort the person. You know, we're not treating, you look at that guy that your CPR call, he was a fucking junkie. I'm not treating a junkie. I'm treating the fact that he he has no pulse. 
You have to disassociate the two of we are treating their medical condition. We're not treating Joe Blow, the heroin dealer. Right. Doesn't matter if you're a pile of shit. My job is to still fix your ailment. It takes it takes a special mindset. And I think that that's an instance where people that did have fucked up childhoods and learned how to deal with it, or people that have had severe trauma in their life and learned how to deal with it. They make the best first responders because, you know, there's a lot of calls that I go on where I see someone that's having an issue. I know that I had an issue 10 times worse than that when I was a kid. So I know how to deal with this because I've, I've seen worse as a kid the other thing to keep in mind is and i don't remember the numbers there was a a study done a while ago on traumatic experiences whether it's rape a death abuse physical abuse verbal abuse whatever especially when you're younger it affects your brain receptors in the exact same way doesn't matter what it is so by looking at that, uh, who's, you can't really say that, oh, well, he was beat by his dad. He's got nothing on me because my uncle touched me. Well, it still affects your brain the same way. Trauma affects your brain in the same way. So don't sit here and say that, oh, well, my trauma is worse than his. My trauma is worse than that person's. It It's still traumatic to your brain and still affects your, your development all the same way. So that being said, we've all dealt with trauma. Yep. It's how you deal with trauma is how you, you're going to be able to adapt to the world. You know, once you understand that your trauma and my trauma, they're completely different. You've had bad shit happen to you. I've had bad shit happen to me. They're the same, though. They're different, but they're the same. They're the exact same. It's how we get over it. And the thing is, is having that compassion and the empathy for somebody else, you can't go on a call and be like, all you did was break your leg, dude. I've seen my own intestines. You, you don't know shit. You can't do that kind of shit. It's the same. It, it's the same, but it's not the same, but it is the same, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that is kind of confusing, but yeah, it does Yeah, kind of make sense at the same time. You know, if I go up to each of my kids right now, not that I ever would, but if I punched one in the stomach and then punched the other in the face, one injury is probably going to hurt worse than the other, but it's going to affect them both the same way. Right. That's where a lot of people need to understand because that's one of the most annoying things. This has nothing to do with the EMS side, but you get people going, oh, well... No, you you don't know me. You don't know my life. You don't know what happened to me. Doesn't matter. We still have to be civil to each other. Everybody still has to be a part of civilization. Yeah. We've all had fucked up shit happen. We need to learn to deal with it as a society and accept that it sucks to say, but nobody's special. We're all part of this working machine called the world. We just need to learn how to work together and make it go along. Yeah, I mean, the world is pretty fucked right now, but... And there are too many selfish motherfuckers in it. Yeah, and it's just getting I can't worse. fucking believe that somebody posted that shit. Yeah, I didn't, just the thought of that makes my blood boil, especially that nobody was... Nobody helped. Nobody did a single yeah. thing. 
because they're selfish. They don't want to get. I don't want to get burned or. Well, and that's whatever. the thing is, how many of the you know, how many? Every job I've had since I was eighteen, I've had to do a first aid CPR class for every two years. Most everybody's first aid CPR trained, but they'll sit back and take a fucking video. Guarantee at least half those people that were in that had some sort of first aid training. But let's Snapchat this. That's that's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, whatever Brennan said, I mean, they deleted it. Yeah. They are probably like, oh, fuck. But the thing that's irritating but is how many of those people are showing those friends that video exactly. on their phone. It's, it's not acceptable at no. all whatsoever. Well, and I, I'm sure you remember. I mean, I, I don't... You know, ne- I never had to bring it up with you, but that's one thing that one of the first things I tell people when they join the department is if you're on a fucking call, do not bring out your phone. I can take pictures if I need to for medical reasons. Chief can take pictures an officer can. You would better not pull your fucking phone out because there's no saying that you'll be like, oh, hey. So-and-so check out this video or check out right. this picture that I got on this call the other day. That's disrespectful. Yeah, there was only that one time. It was that van, that uh, that Chevy Express van. The lady was by herself, and she had all that garbage on her dash. And oh stuff. yeah, yeah. And then uh, I asked you. I was like, "Hey, can I take a picture?" You're like, "Oh yeah." I didn't even bring my phone. Take a bunch of pictures and send them to me so yeah. I can put them in the report or whatever. But you know, I mainly wanted like a picture next to it like yep with like a thumbs up or something because i mean all we really did was take a a sawzall or the handsaw and cut the windshield out and yep. like i held her purse and she just walked out and she was completely fine which yeah. was which was good but was that the yeah. one that was on its side yeah it, it okay. just flopped over and that was i think that was the First time we got to use those uh, those rescue jacks or whatever. That's right. That's right. Our uh, rescue 32s or whatever. Yeah. Our rescue 42s. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, really, like, right before that, we had just trained on, or, like, we did a special uh, drill night on those. Yep. Just to figure out how to use them because they're, they didn't come with any instructions, really. No. So it's like, okay. Yeah, you spend four grand on something. Why would you get instructions? I know, but you buy some cheap freaking piece of junk off Amazon from China, but it, and it comes with a whole book of instructions. Yep. But something that's like for rescue, you don't get shit. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, here, figure it out. They're completely assembled, basically. You just got to put the straps on it. The reason being, I think, is because even if it came with instructions, we would look at them and throw them away because the one thing that firefighters are great at is improvising on the fly. Yeah, exactly. You could give us a chainsaw. Guess what? It's not going to be a chainsaw. We're going to use it for whatever the fuck we need to. Exactly. If we need to cut a piece of cribbing down to fit, we're going we're gonna to Well, do and that. that's how the Halligan came into play, was the dude's name was Halligan. Yep. And he didn't want just a pry bar. He didn't want just a piercing tool. He made his own. Exactly. You know, we're great at improvising done it a lot <laughs> yeah i mean hell we made a we we had gotten our side by side and before we even got our litter or anything on it we had to do a body recovery so we 
took our wheeled litter, modified it, and this is all on scene, modified it, ratchet strapped it, and did a body recovery with that with the tailgate down because we couldn't drive any apparatus out because one thing that everybody in this area seems to be great about is, hey, let's go off in the woods, party, and do fentanyl. Never mind the fact that if anything goes wrong, no responding units can get to us. Yeah, it's always cool. Yeah. So we ended up having to shuttle in out the cops, the medics, and everything out to that body, and then had to shuttle them back, and then shuttle the body back with a wheeled litter ratchet strapped to the back of a side-by-side that wasn't even in service yet. And that's just the one the one wheeled litter that we had? Yeah, we took the wheel off. Oh. So you just drug it? No, we strapped it to the side oh, inside the oh, in tailgate the of the oh, side by side okay. in the cheap it was sticking bed. out four feet but we're, we're good the at the bed didn't fall off we're good at improvising yeah and that's just a polaris ranger right uh no it's the honda i don't remember what model it is it's a 1000 and it's got the bed it's a two-seater but we did that because it's shaft driven not belt driven oh yeah because those things and when you have numerous types of people of all different walks of life that are going to be driving it you probably don't want a belt driven one because there are some people that are lead foots that'll drive them the way they're supposed to and not burn out the belt there are also some people that'll creep and burn out the belt so yeah that's why we went with shaft drive and some of them i mean i know polaris they they make it kind of a pain in the ass to get the cover off yeah. There's a certain way you have to pull that cover out of there. Well, and, and it's I wanted, insane. I want my only prerequisites for the side-by-side were, was that it had to have a cover in the back. And that is because I had to ride in the back of a railroad maintenance truck oh. all the way over to Greenwater because there was an incident where a train ran over a transient just outside of Greenwater. One of ours? Yes. One of our you were in one of our pickups? Yes. Oh, nice. Well the problem being is that was Auburn, that's Valley Fire. That was their area, but the train stopped on the tracks. Well there was, you know, a you know, there was an injury, a fatality, train can't move. Right. So we ended up having to come from here, took an hour and ten minutes to drive up to the patient in one of your maintenance, the BNSF maintenance rigs. Mm-hmm. And then so, and this was, I want to say middle of October. So we had to pick up the person's severed appendages. No, just, just one appendage. And ride in the back with him up and over all the way back here to meet airlift. Over Stampede. Yep. And it was snowing and freezing rain. You have to go through the tunnel and everything? Oh, yeah. So, do you have oxygen on? And shit? Yes, we did. Oh, okay. It's like, shit, you're in the back of a pickup, and I know the conductor and the engineers have to put oxygen uh, on. Oh, yeah. But yeah, so no, we, we did that. And because we were getting snowed on and rained on, that's when I, my requisite was it better at least have a partial cover on the back of that side by side because we got that mostly for wintertime for uh, medical response. I don't want to get poured on again. If I'm having to sit back there and make sure, you know, if it's a two hour ride, I want to be dry. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Especially in all the elements. Yep. In October. I mean, it's not really warm over here in October. Well, you also go 
1500 feet higher yeah that and, too and we were 5000 feet yeah we weren't getting snow down here but up top we were yeah yeah that was not fun no how long ago was that i think that was before <coughs> my time cuz i heard no, about it no it wasn't before you that was i want to say that was like 2 years ago it's going on 3 years so two and a half years ago yeah it was before my time then. was it july was beginning of this or july was two years i don't remember if that was 2020 or not i can't i know i heard about it okay i heard the story it might have been october of uh 2020 then it might have been going on three years yeah i think once i started working for the railroad i think that's when you told me oh i rode in the back of one of those maintenance away pickups once no it was 2021 it wasn't during the shutdown I think you were on the department, but uh, you were probably at work. I don't remember if you were there or not, but that was the one where, because we had no radio signal, we had landed a bird to transport, and after 45 minutes, the bird said, we got to go, and they left because the weather was getting really shitty. So they ended up just ground transporting that guy. But he was already dead? No, he wasn't dead. Oh. No, he was just an amputee. Oh, I thought he was. I thought he was dead. Nope, he wasn't dead. You can thank the uh, cold weather for that. So he just lost his. He just lost a leg or yep. something. Lost a leg, but because it was below freezing, and that's that's the one thing too is it's below freezing. You can have a lot of trauma happening. You ain't gonna die. You know, we just had one gal. Yeah, we had one gal. Shortly after that got nailed by by a train here in town and that was when the arm got ripped off yeah that was the arm that got ripped off then then froze to the under well it got part mostly ripped it got mostly ripped off and then froze to the underside of her arm Ooh. and she had a lot of other major injuries and that one was actually kind of a blessing because i found out not six months ago that not only did she live, but she was not living the best lifestyle. And after that injury, she returned to her family that she'd been absent from for several years and has done a complete 180. Did you get to keep her arm? The arm, no, but she kept her legs. And those were... I know those were mangled. Those too. were destroyed as well, and there was the some internal of- injuries. But because it was five degrees out when that happened, she did not bleed out and she did not die. But yeah, she ended up with one amputation out of the whole thing. It took her about a year to walk, but she turned her life around completely. And that one, that one actually kind of welled me up a little bit hearing that she turned her shit around. And. You know, one thing to touch on, I go back to that bad wreck that we had at 74, you know, and you had mentioned to me, I think yesterday about, you know, challenging your faith and everything. You heard about that wreck with your friends. That wreck at 74, <clears throat> the gal that we transported passed away. There was a very young boy involved too, and the and the father the father passed away the very young boy we were told that night had died and the family reached out to me 2 days later to let me know that the boy was alive and i continue to receive updates about the kid to this day 
So somebody said he died, but he didn't actually die. The Harborview med- medical staff told us he died. And I didn't transport the boy. I transported somebody else that did pass. but And she was in her 20s. The medic that transported the boy was very messed up because there was severe trauma with the kid. He was... They did, we didn't even know the boy was in the car. He was on the floorboards in the back seat. And we'd already had the, the young girl that had passed away. And so nobody even knew he was there until after we started getting everyone else going. And the boy, seeing pictures of him smiling and being happy restores your faith. Really restores your faith because the mom was the only one that walked away. And it gave her something to live for because she had already lost three members of her family. And she, you know, if she didn't have her son, if I was a parent and I lost my wife and both of my kids, I wouldn't want to keep going. Me either. But at least she has something to go for. Right. And that was, I got the news about him when we were having our after action review a couple of days later and when I let the medic know that transported him that was a very good thing for him because he was having a very very hard time and I think that's probably one of the few things that actually kept him in the field and doing what he's doing which I'm really glad because he is an awesome medic and I love working with this guy so it it was a little bright spot on a very fuck situation but yeah. you know it's one of those things where being in this profession has taught me one thing that life is a matter of an inch every day you're an inch away from death you know did you take too long to get your coffee this morning if you did hey look you're on your way to work you see a car wreck that could have been you you know every day you're one inch away that car that accident i'm telling you about they were literally one inch away from not being in that wreck you yep. never know. And my faith keeps me going. That's something to always kind of everything. God has a plan. Everything happens for a reason. Try not to question it because you're here still for a reason. How many times should you have died in your life? I know I should be dead a thousand times over, but I'm still here. And we're having this conversation right now. And yeah. if this helps one person, it's worth it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've I've been close a few times. I have, I'm not going to lie. There are several times in my life where I had a gun in my mouth, but I didn't do it. There's a reason why. There's a reason why I was too chicken to ever, ever go that route. There's, for some reason, God has a plan for me. I don't know what it is yet, and I hope I live up to it. That's all we can do. 100%. God damn, that shit was deep. Yeah, it was. <laughs> that was pretty deep. Uh, let's just pause. Yeah, so I was trying to find a picture of uh, to show you the the kid that ended up living, even though Harborview told us he was dead. I don't know why the hell they would do that. Obviously, they know. Well, it was they had him. They had him mistaken for somebody. One of the there was another fatality that night. Oh, not in our area, but so they had a similar accident. Yes. They had mistaken for that. And so they had told us that the kid had passed as well. And so that kind of just fucked everyone up. 
And then so finding out that the kid was fine was pretty flipping awesome considering that call in itself not only did we lose three people that if you add their time in with Easton Fire it was about 80 years of experience between the three of them so lost them um I think one of the state patrol people WSP guys that was on scene he quit after that call this is just to tell you how bad it was. He quit, and he was only like 28. And oh, he walked. He was fresh. Yes, he he was done. Just this wasn't for me. I can't yep. do it. Yep. And every single person that was on that call, from one year of experience to 30 years of experience on between six different agencies said that was the most traumatic call they have ever seen. You know, we we walked away from that scene that night thinking that four family members had died and just the mom had lived. And there are things that I personally, from the family contacting me, know about that call that I will not share. But my heart breaks every day for that mom hearing what she went through be during that accident and yeah it it questioned your faith it makes you wonder why the fuck god would let this shit happen to good people exactly especially hearing what mom remembers and what i've heard but on the flip side that little boy's alive little boy has mom mom has little boy it could be worse. I, I've never seen a scene like that where over half a family is taken out. And that was a bit much. And like I said, it made a lot of people walk. But the first thing I did, I, um, I called in to work and said I'm not going in. I came home. I poured a glass of whiskey. By this time, it was still 6 in the morning. My kids got up, getting ready to go to school. And I hugged my kids for probably, in their mind, an uncomfortable five minutes straight and cried because I still had my kids and they still had their dad. And I did the same with my wife. And once we took the kids to school, I broke down crying to my wife and explained the situation and explained everything that happened. And I emptied my fucking cup is what I did. I did not put a lid on it and put in the cupboard. I emptied that cup, and that's why I'm still able to go out on calls, even when it comes to kids or anything like that, because that storage cabinet is empty. I've since then told my wife about all the very bad calls that I've been on that have fucked me up, but I felt it. Uh, I found it's a lot easier for me to still go on those types of things and not carry it with me by talking with somebody you love and trust about all of your traumatic experiences in life. Don't carry it with you. Otherwise, you're you're going to end up like my uncle, fifty four years old, decide to kill himself by having the cops do it for him. Vietnam vet right there did suicide by cop because he was always fine and never told anyone about his problems 
filled up that cupboard ended up just doing SBC. He's one of the 22. Wow. And that was in Cleelum, and he didn't even live here. Jeez. He was snowed in one night, but my whole life, I never knew he had an issue. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's crazy. They, there can be so many people that you're close with and not even have a single clue. Yep. Like all the people, like I've seen all these all these pictures are, that are coming out now where it's like depression can look like this, and it's somebody that's, you know, out partying. Robin happy, Williams. Smiling. Exactly. And he was like one of the funniest people, smiley. Yep. Whatever. And and then he. Chris Farley. Yeah, exactly. It's Nobody has a clue because they bottle it all up. Yep. And they don't empty their cup and just put it in the cap. Well, and the other thing is, you know, your buddies, your friends, your brother, your sister, genuinely ask them how they're doing. They may sit there and say, I'm, I'm fine. Wish a little, especially if you know something's happened in their life. You never know. That might be the one thing that saves somebody. Right. Even if you don't know them. Mm-hmm. It's always good to say, hey. Well, and just in general, in your daily life, yeah, that dude at Home Depot, he pissed you off when he cut in front of you. You don't know what he's going through. Yeah, you you may be in relative hurry because you want to get home and watch the football game, but that dude might be running home to take care of his wife who's invalid. You never know. Right. You know, I just wish people in this society had patience. Had a little bit of patience. How many times have I seen on the freeway where some dude has to get home three minutes ahead of everybody else kills a family? Yep. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> People piss me off. Oh, boy. But you know what? They may be going through something you don't know about. Exactly. A lot of times I got to refrain from road raging and this and that. I've given up on road rage so long ago that anymore, I really don't care. Yeah. Most of the time now, I just kind of shake my head well i also did that drive a lot longer than you did yeah true and anymore it's to the point of and especially seeing the things i've seen uh it's not worth me getting pissed off and how many times you see on the news now where somebody fucking shoots someone just because they didn't use their blinker yep or they're getting out and punching their window and this Mm -hmm. and that man well, that was fun. Yeah. I think we're just, <laughs> just now wrapping this up after an hour and a half. Uh, I'm good at talking. Yeah. Yeah, me too. That I'd, I'd say you took up 80% of this. Oh, I told you. I had a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah. And you'll have more to talk about eventually, I'm sure. Yeah, in episode two. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I just want to say thanks for coming on and opening up. Oh, yeah. A lot of that I didn't have any clue about. I mean, you told me a couple things here and there over the last couple of years, but... Oh, it was a little bit rough. I didn't know about any of the the baggage that you've had to carry around with you your whole life. Oh, yeah. And Well, you know, uh, you opened up quite a bit on the the first few episodes that I had no idea about your shit. Yeah. A lot of people didn't. And that took a lot. Yeah, it's... 
gotta admit, it did, does kind of feel nice to just let it out and just put it out there. Well, for especially the whole since world. you're putting out for everybody. Anybody, I mean, somebody in Australia listened to it. Somebody in Belgium, Italy. Yep. And other countries know that. You all know what? Shit I did. And I go back to if it helps one person, right? It's worth it. And that's kind of with us. If if I can make the difference in one person's life, I'm okay with anything that I've seen that I carry with me that fucks me up. If it changes one person's life for the better. Exactly. Those, that baseball team, yep. you know, there was run around the median and I hung out with those kids. If one, one of those kids remembers that kind of shit in the future and actually, you know, takes a positive from it, it's worth it. I agree. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Thanks for coming on, awesome. sharing all your all your stuff. I'm sorry about all the uh, interruptions with the kids and the dogs. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> None of this stuff is scripted. It's real life action. So hey, give a chance for a piss break. Yeah, I know, right? Um, but yeah, if anybody wants to be on the show, go ahead and send us an email at uh, the Weekly Struggle Podcast at gmail.com and we'll catch you guys on the next one. Later. Peace.